Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school, and that is what this podcast is designed to do. To educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, I'm actually excited about today's show. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. I mentioned at the last uh, podcast that I was out in Costa Rica and that I was here for writing uh, and have been writing like crazy. Actually, I'm halfway done now with uh, the manuscript Next Level Human, which I'm very excited about. But I came down here to uh, Costa Rica to do some plant medicine ceremonies. Now, for many of you, this may be something you have heard about, and for others, it may be a completely new concept. You're probably wondering, Jade, what the hell do you mean by plant medicine ceremonies? And I wanted to do something different today because I had such an interesting and profound experience um, with the ceremonies that I did, which are now done, that I want to share them uh, with uh, the podcast. And I don't want to share them from the perspective of saying this is something that uh, you need to do or even something that you should do. In fact, I don't think that anyone needs to or even should uh, do this. But I do think it speaks to um, one of the key concepts in the next level human constructs. The first part of the next level human journey, as a matter of fact which is the superpower of uh, perception. And by the way, if you're watching this on video, um, I just want to show you this because it's really beautiful. You can see behind me, um, I'm basically in the middle of a jungle. And this is what's crazy about this place. If I just move my camera for you, you can see that there's this beautiful beach behind me. And this place where I'm staying has a little path Uh, right down uh, to the beach. And this beach here that you're looking at there um, is really right along the jungle. So the jungle comes right up to that beach and you basically step out of the jungle onto this beach. It's very different than, um, for example, beaches that you go to uh, in uh, the uh, United States. You know, I lived on both coasts, the East Coast and the West Coast. I'm very familiar with that, but I've never seen a beach quite like this except on the peninsula of um, uh, Washington State when I used to live in Seattle. And one of the reasons I'm even bringing that up is because plant medicines traveling different experiences that we humans expose ourselves to, like being in Costa Rica, a country I've never been to, and being in this beautiful 
uh, jungle along with this very uh, amazing, you know, untouched beach really helps us alter our uh, perceptions. And this is something that while you certainly don't need to travel to Costa Rica or travel at all, and you certainly don't need to or, you know, must do plant medicines or anything like that, I would say we humans absolutely have to if we want change and to be on the next level human uh, journey, we absolutely must uh, expose ourselves to different things so that we can alter our perceptions. Perceptions are really driven by our old experiences and the old stories we're telling. And we've talked an awful lot in this podcast over um, the last couple years and certainly over several episodes about this idea of change and that uh, in order to change yourself or influence other people, it's really about um, killing the old stories that keep you stuck. And there's something about exposing yourself to things that change your perception that begin that process. And so this is what I want to discuss in the context of plant medicines. It's one, it's not the only way to alter our perceptions, but it does seem to be a shortcut um, for many people. But again, this is something that uh, I would say, and you'll find out why, that you is not something I would say you should do or need to do or perhaps even want to do. And even if you were my best friend, and some of my best friends have been asking me, should I do this? Um, what I've been answering is I would say, I am not going to tell you that. And the reason I'm not going to tell you that, whether you should or shouldn't, is because it's, uh, it's a little bit terrifying and beautiful all at the same time. And you really have to be, I think, called to the perceptions that you, the, the, the perceptual challenges that you um, expose yourself to. And I felt that I was called to this for some time. It spoke to me in some way. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful that I did it. I'm going to share the, the experience in detail with you here in a minute. But before I do that, I do want to give you a little bit of a background because not everybody, it's been a while since I've talked about the six powers um, and the powers acronym, P-O-W-E-R-S, that constitute the next level human journey. Um, many of you have been frustrated uh, at times because I know so many of you are so interested in um, you know, the humanistic psychology background that I have and the, the philosophical uh, background that I bring to um, some of my work in self-development, but have been frustrated that the books that I do have out, Human 365 and Next Level Tribe, don't explore it at the depth that you have been craving, I think. Um, and so you haven't been able to get that. You will get that in depth uh, with Next Level Human, the manuscript that will be coming out um, at this point, I can say probably confidently uh, sometime this year in 2022. But let me review really quickly this idea of the next level human journey and the six powers that power that journey. Each of us humans, as we go through life, are exposed to a unique um, experience, a unique uh, way of living, unique people that help us and hurt us and raise us and teach us and uh, unique pains that we're exposed to, traumas and sadnesses and grief and loss and all of those kinds of things. We each have a unique personality that we bring. Some of it uh, arguably as a result of genetics. Some of it 
uh, arguably as a result of family exposures and our culture and some of it just our natural inclinations. We don't know where it comes from. And of course, we have our likes, what I would call our passions and our superpowers. And so I wrap these up into what I call the five P's, right? And so they are our pain, our people, our personality or perspective, um, our passions, and our superpowers, our powers, the things that we're really good at. And these five things, in my mind, make up our unique spiritual fingerprint. There has never been another human on the planet like you ever in history, nor will there ever be. Same goes for me, same goes for everyone we know. And this is a beautiful thought when you think about it. We are unique. There are infinite variations um, uh, and distributions and ways of expressing these five Ps. Now, in the next level human way of seeing this, these five Ps and the whole point of being on this planet in the first place is that each of us have not only a unique purpose, but a unique way that we can create to deliver that purpose. And it's not necessarily one purpose. There are many uh, purposes that we can bring in, diff in many different situations. And I've talked about this. So my purpose, you know, when I looked at, you know, my people, my pain, my passions, my personality, um, my superpowers, uh, the way this came together with my unique trajectory in life, it brought me to medicine and specifically natural medicine and integrative medicine and a career as a naturopathic physician. And the career aspect of that is kind of irrelevant, but the purpose behind that was um, healer. And certainly uh, that healer purpose was something that I was uh, not fully aware of at the time, but it also morphed and evolved more into uh, healer slash teacher, the role that I play now as Yes, I'm trained as a naturopathic physician, but most of what I do now is teach. I podcast, I write books, I deliver programs uh, for people. So I'm in a coaching, teaching role more than I'm actually in a healing role, but I am both. And so I would say that I've created healer teacher as my purpose. Now, many of us get caught up on purpose because we think it's something we find. It's not. It's something that we create. It's something we choose. And it's not one thing. It can be multiple things. For example, I can bring purpose to the way I interact with people um, when I go to the coffee shop or the grocery store. I can bring purpose uh, to the way that I just live my life in the morning and the way I tend my plants and the way that I um, you know, take care of my apartment. Right? I can, I can bring purpose to many different things, but the big P, capital P purpose I'm talking about right now is what we do for the world, not what the world does for us. And I usually distinguish this, uh, you know, between purpose and meaning because meaning is what the world gives to us. I can find meaning from my mother and father. I can find meaning from my siblings. If I had children, I can find meaning in them. Um, but I can't uh, rely on that. It's borrowed in a sense. You know, I can't generate uh, my parents to give me meaning. And this is where purpose is an evolved meaning. I can generate out of myself a purpose that I give freely to the world without need for acknowledgement or reciprocation through my chosen uh, creative purpose path of healer teacher.
And this is what the next level human journey is all about. And to get there, because many of you will be listening to me speaking right now and say, well, I kind of understand this and I kind of don't. And some of you will be like, I definitely get it because I've walked this path. But I would say most of us, most all of us, what we deeply want more than anything else is to make a difference in the world, to matter, and to go through the world with a sense of pride, especially on our deathbeds. We want to be proud of the humans that we were and the humans that we want to, to somehow uh, leave a mark on the world and make it better in some way for us having been here. This, to me, is the whole purpose of Next Level Human. It is a drive that I believe all humans share, despite the fact that many of us become destructive in our pursuit of that because we get it wrong. For example, instead of pursuing purpose and truly understanding purpose, we pursue power and popularity instead. Base-level humans pursue power. They do so because they believe wrongly that it is going to deliver them to this place of safety and security and a place where they can be proud of themselves the same way we all want to. But they get it wrong because the pursuit of power is a destructive pursuit. It destroys others in its wake and it destroys yourself. Now, same thing with culture level humans. Rather than pursuing power, they pursue popularity and status and pleasure right and this is what they pursue and they think that by doing that by getting popularity and by doing the things that they think culture wants them to do and by falling in line and being a people pleaser or all these things they they too will get to where they want but what they also don't realize is they also destroy themselves in that process because they destroy their unique nature they put aside their own authenticity and supersede their own authenticity for the dictates of culture. And this is often done unknowingly in the same way base level humans often pursue power unknowingly. So the whole point of next level human is to be conscious of what you are pursuing and instead to pursue purpose because purpose is something that fills us up and also fills the world up. A next level human at his or her core is an integrator. Always, always integrating self and other. Always giving of themselves to the world because they know it comes back around to them. And that journey of a next level human follows a very specific six step process that I call the six powers. First, in this journey, you must master the superpower of perception. And the six powers go by the acronym POWERS, easily enough, P-O-W-E-R-S. The first P in this acronym is perception. We must, to get where we want to go, to break free of our safety and security needs and stop pursuing power and break free of our popularity and status needs and stop pursuing popularity and pleasure, we must understand and know truth about the stories that we have been telling ourselves and the stories that we could be telling ourselves. We need to escape from the old destructive stories, the old victim mindsets, the old ways of seeing the world 
and see the world in very new ways. Ways that our higher self, our best level, our next level selves need to see the world in order for us to realize our purpose. So perception is critical. Perception is all about changing the stories and the narratives and the feelings and the ways of thinking that you bring to the world. Perception is the first step and the most important step. We must open up our minds and our thoughts and our behaviors and our ways of being and these old narratives and stories of, that keep us stuck in order to begin the process of becoming a next level human and living our full authentic nature, creating purpose in the world and getting to the quintessential most evolved states that a human can reach which are joy, fulfillment, and pride in ourselves without the need for acknowledgement and reciprocation. This is what ultimately we all want. This is the hypothesis, the theory, and the work of becoming a next level human. So perception is the first part that kicks all this off. And this is where plant medicine comes in as a potential tool for some people who have been curious and want to know about plant medicines. Now, before I get into the plant medicine journey that I had, let me just finish the six powers really quickly for those who have never heard this before. So perception comes first. Now, the next letter in the acronym is O. This is about ownership. This is about radical responsibility, owning who you will become in the world. Because once you see, once your perception opens up and you see truly who you are, and who you have been, and what is required for you to perhaps get to where you need to go, all these things that you need to bust open. The next step is you automatically, once you begin this process, once you get perception right, you cease to become the victim. You start to see the world very differently. In fact, you start to see that anything that you are aware of, that is in your sphere of awareness, is yours to deal with. It's your responsibility if you want to change it. And this is where ownership comes in. Ownership essentially says, here's who I've been. Here's the perception I've been living from. Here's the way I've been seeing the world. Here's the narratives I've been uh, you know, telling myself and the stories I've been living from and the ways of thinking and the ways of being that have not served me getting to my next level self. And now I am going to be different. I'm going to write a new honor code. I'm going to decide that I will be this thing. For me, many of you know my story. I had an affair. I had a tenuous relationship with honesty. I had a distrust for women. I had an anger streak in me when I was young. I had a lot of pain around this and was living from stories of anger and distrust, uh, which made me angry and a liar. And I wasn't fully aware of this, but when I came to this awareness over time, my ownership practice, my honor code, had kindness, honesty, generosity, integrity as a core component of it. It's really interesting what happens with ownership because our pain points us to our path to purpose. And so the very things that I was struggling with, the very stories that I was trapped in, had embedded within them a gem to free me to get to my purpose. So that now I am honesty. I, I am being at my core honesty. I feel I am the most honest person I know now. The people who know me say this to me. I feel it within my core. 
I am kind. I am generous. I am the things that I want to be. I am teacher. I want to help people get to the same place. It's the whole point of this podcast and my work and self-development in the first place. And so ownership comes next. The honor code comes next. But once you get to this ownership place, you realize that a gap in knowledge opens up. I didn't necessarily know how to be honest or know how to be kind or in order to be a healer and a teacher, I had to learn to communicate better and learn certain things about the human body. So the next thing... The P is perception, the O is ownership, but the next thing that immediately comes out of ownership is this idea of pursuit of wisdom. Wisdom is the third one. Wisdom, the idea that I have to accumulate knowledge. There's a gap in what I understand and who I want to be and who I could be at my best next level self. And so I went to medical school. I did countless self-development seminars. I got certifications in countless life coaching. I've read countless books on psychology and philosophy and all these things. Why? Because the ownership, the perception perspective opened up the ownership aspect, which dictated I had to learn and experience things so that I could embody what I wanted to become. And out of that, once you begin to pursue wisdom, the E and the R stands for engagement and resolve. It's not enough just to have knowledge. Wisdom is also about experience, experiences. And so you have to have engagement in the world. You have to go out and live and say yes to things and put yourself in uncomfortable situations and put yourself in out of your comfort zone. This is engagement. It's this idea of easy is earned. Just because you decide you're going to be a, a particular way and you have ownership and just because you go and you get some knowledge does not mean you can actually be that thing. You have to be it until you see it. And the only way to be something until you see it is to go and put yourself in those real life experiences and stories. And of course, it's not easy because in that journey of engagement, you will confront fears and failures again and again and again. And you must get up from falling down again and again and again. Before I became honest, I first had to realize I was dishonest. And in that gap between dishonest and honesty, that gap between people pleasing and being authentic to myself as well as kind to others, in that gap, I had to experience failing and not being completely honest. I had to walk that gray zone, and I failed a lot. And so not only did I have to engage, but I needed resolve. I needed to realize that I was a human learning, and I had to get up and do it again and again and again and again. And so after wisdom becomes the E and the R, the engagement and the resolve. And finally, as we begin to really truly realize our purpose, we get to arguably the second most important aspect of the Six Powers Framework, which is sharing sharing then i have to share my creations and my love with the world i have to give freely without need for acknowledgement and reciprocation i don't do this podcast to get paid for it i don't do this podcast so you will think i'm smart i don't do this podcast for any other reason that i feel compelled to share my lessons to whoever needs them and whoever feels also in alignment with me and I release attachment to what you think about it. I am for some people and I am not for others. But for those I am for, I want to serve. And that's why I do what I do and that's the sharing aspect. 
Now, let's talk about the plant medicine. The plant medicine that I did was ayahuasca. This is a plant medicine I've been hearing about. Uh, and at first, I didn't like that it was even called plant medicine. Uh, I personally, if you know where I come from, I don't like drugs. I've never been someone that has really been in. I got high for the first time on marijuana when I, almost, I was almost, had almost graduated college. It was not something I wanted to do or was interested in doing. I was not even really drunk until I was close to have graduating college. I did not like drugs. I've never done things like cocaine or um, any, any of these, you know, what I would have considered harder drugs. I was never interested in things like ecstasy and, you know, of that kind of thing. It just wasn't something that I ever liked. Drugs were something that when I looked at people doing them, I saw them as an impediment to me living a healthy, fit life. However, what I've realized uh, from talking to people and um, engaging, you know, and, uh, you know, realizing what I want and breaking open my perceptions again and again and again to more fully realize my power is that writing, traveling, exposing myself to different people, all of these ways, reading new books, all of these are ways of changing my perception but I wanted to go deeper. I started to hear from people that there could be a shortcut, or maybe a shortcut's a bad way to express it, but maybe there was something in these experiences that I needed. Maybe just perhaps just to get over my fear of them. And rest assured, I am afraid of them. Uh, I have historically been afraid of drugs and was afraid of uh, any kind of mind-altering drugs over time. Uh, I come from a big Italian family. I learned to enjoy wine and learned to not be afraid of being drunk because I, that was a controllable, predictable thing for me. I knew if I had three drinks, I would alter my perception in a particular way, and um, I didn't want to go any further. Marijuana was something I did not like because for me it was always different, and I did not like being out of control. And one of the things I entered into this with is a tenuous relationship with control. I do not like being out of control. And I began to become aware of this story of control and the illusion of control. They call it sukkah, right? This idea of ease. I wanted ease. And being out of control took away my sukkah, took away my ease. I did not like it. I never wanted to be out of control. This is why I did not like being on an airplane. And what I realized is that this need for control started to make me more afraid and more fearful um, as I got older. You know, now I'm in my late 40s, early 50s, right? So I'm 48. You know, my friends laugh at me because I'm always like, well, I'm 50. But they're like, you're not. You're 48. And to me, I'm like, doesn't matter. 48 to 52, it's all 50. But I realized I was getting more and more afraid. Um, and I didn't like that because I certainly have seen older individuals, elderly folks who are so afraid they won't even go outside. Things like not going in the ocean, you know, things like not wanting to get on an airplane, things that began to make me not enjoy life in the same way. Things like not wanting to go on a hike because it's too hot and I had a near-death experience in um, the Grand Canyon where I almost had uh, hyperthermia and was ha basically had to be helped off that mountain, and that fear has stuck with me. And so I started to realize control was a problem, and I started to realize that my fear was becoming a little bit of a problem. 
and that I didn't want to be one of these people that lives in fear because it was keeping me from doing things, keeping me from having the experiences of life. And so this year in 2021 and 2022, I decided I was going to confront my fear around drugs and specifically go for the drugs that could help me alter my perception. (laughs) So I have been high on marijuana more times in the last two years than in the rest of my life. I have done MDMA, uh, which is the active compound in uh, Molly and Ecstasy. I have done uh, psilocybin several times. And ayahuasca was the thing that began to call to me the strongest. Now, I have no desire to become someone who repeats these things again and again. But I have a desire to expand my awareness and to put myself in a place that scares me so that I can grow. That was the reason I came down to Costa Rica. It is the reason I exposed myself to what I was very afraid to do and what turned out to be pretty terrifying, which I'll tell you about here in a minute. Terrifying, but also beautiful, which I'm going to tell you both sides of those stories. And part of the reason I did it, by the way, and this is the power of purpose. Part of the reason I did it is because I know many of you. I talk to many of you on DMs. I get emails from many of you um, that talk about your fears and talk about your wounds and talk about your struggles. The more I've delved into the work of self-development rather than just health and fitness, the more I confront people who, like me, are terrified. We're all the same, us humans. We all are I like to often say this, and my friends and family laugh at me, but they get it too, and I think you'll get it. Every single human, no human escapes this. We are each, it's part of the human condition, we are each lazy, ignorant, and scared shitless. Like, this is just who we are as humans, right? And the secret to success, in a sense, that I've come to is just to be a little less lazy, to open myself to be a little less biased and a little less dogmatic and to open myself up to being a little bit more uncomfortable. And as I begun to do that and live the model that I have created around this through the six powers, I have realized there are many ways to do that. And I have been engaging in fear PRs, slowly exposing myself to airplanes and flying more slowly exposing myself to the ocean in very different ways, despite that I'm afraid of it. And I want to be able to share this. And so one of the other major fears I have had is around drugs and altered uh, perception, in a sense. And isn't that funny that the key jumping off point to realizing our best lives is mastering perception and that we are terrified oftentimes, of course I was, of not being able to control our perceptual influences. So this is why I approached ayahuasca. Now, for those of you who don't know what ayahuasca is, ayahuasca is a, they call it a plant medicine. It is an indigenous plant that grows down in the tropics, South America, up into Central America. Um, Some of these plants have been brought to Hawaii, although they're not native to Hawaii, and they grow in Hawaii, but they grow in these warm tropical areas. And indigenous tribes for for who knows how long, have been using this plant in combination with other plants 
to alter their perceptions, to dip into universal realms that us in the West can only describe in, you know, ways of the mystics talking about we are all one and the Tao and the universal intelligence of plants and that all plants and animals have consciousness and that we are connected to everything. We've heard of these things. Any of us who have ever read spiritual books, spiritually inclined books or podcasts or even been exposed to things like The Secret have been exposed to these more esoteric New Age ideas that science really can't touch. And I want to tell you another reason why I was very interested in ayahuasca and got more interested in it. Because I'm a science guy. Most of you know me as a science guy. And for a very long time, I thought everything must be explained through science. But let's face it. Science is, in a sense, when you look at it, it is limited. It's limited in our ability to know. It's a process. It's slowly evolving. And that's very different than taking a substance and having a direct experience of something. And this is why religion and uh, philosophical circles and have always been somewhat at odds with science because science essentially, rightly so, says we can't rely on individual experiences to tell us what is true because individual experiences are based on the whims of the individual. And also, we don't know how honest and integrous individuals are. We don't even know how in their right mind they are. And so we can't rely on these direct individual experiences to teach us about truth. And we know what this is like, right? You could pick up any book and go to the New Age you know, part and you can find people who, who feel they talk to dogs or you could find people who feel they can tell your personality by your sun sign and you can find all kinds of different things which science would say is wrong and not useful because it can't be really used in a clinical sense and it's built off the whims of individual experiences and passed down knowledge. However, I have decided for myself that I want these direct experiences. I don't need to believe that they're necessarily true to want to experience them and see what truth I can bring out for myself. And that was the spirit in which I approached ayahuasca. Mystics throughout the ages Indigenous people throughout the ages, shamans throughout the ages have been telling us that there is a realm that we can dip our toe in and have direct experience with. And for me, this was not necessarily about trying to find a new truth. It was basically about trying to find new perceptual, perceptual perspectives, new places to view the world from. And to be open to that and to be less fearful from it and not to see it as an affront to my control and the way I see the world, but rather to see it as a way to expand myself, to be able to be a scientist and a shaman, to be able to live in both of those worlds. That to me was uh, what I was after. And I do think there is a degree of shamanism and scientist within truth that both have a place that personal experiences have a place in our individual truth, as does science have a place in our individual uh, truths. Notice right now I'm talking about truth with a lowercase t, our truths, rather than truth with a capital T, the truth. This is a philosophical debate that we could get into. Can we even know 
capital T, truth. Well, science tries to get us there. And it was my hope that maybe I could get to capital T truth or peace or glimpse capital T truth through the experience with ayahuasca. Now, again, this is not something I think you should do, that you need to do. There are many different ways to expand your uh, perceptual awareness and to dip your toe into different perceptions. So, yes, I think you should and need to challenge your perceptions. In fact, it's critical. If you do not, you can't grow. But do I think you need to do it this way? No. And in fact, even my best friends, I would not recommend do this, not because it wasn't unbelievably powerful for me. It's just that it's not for me to say. And it was incredibly difficult as well. So let me get to what this experience was like for me. I sat in a circle with about 15 other individuals with a true Peruvian shaman who comes from a lineage, a long lineage of historical shamans. This was important to me. It might not be for other people, but it was important to me that I worked with a real shaman who has a direct lineage to the actual indigenous people for who delivered this medicine for centuries and you know, millennia and you know, the recorded history of man. That was important to me. And this was a Peruvian shaman who has a direct lineage. Now, this may not be important for you others, but I wanted that to be. So I was in a circle with this particular shaman. One of the ways it could be described is almost like a song circle. He was singing and chanting in the same way you might imagine Native Americans sitting around a fire, dancing around, chanting. Very much that way. He made some offerings and called plant spirits into the room. Much of it I could not understand because it was in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish, but I got the gist of what he was doing. He called each of us up one by one and gave us a cup of this viscousy syrup. I've read about ayahuasca and a lot of people uh, talk about how disgusting it is. It actually wasn't disgusting to me. The taste of it, it looked like mud water, um, by the way. It, was the, 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 it looked like you know, the consistency of mud, you know, halfway between mud and mucus. <laughs> But it tasted uh, very much like a, a licorice combined with uh, acrid vinegar combined with cocoa and coffee. Um, I could see why some might find it gross. I did not. But I can tell you I was terrified while I was taking it. And while I tried to be reverent, um, I was scared. I was scared about what would happen. And that first uh, trip, journey, they call it. Um, I had good reason to be scared. And I think the fact that I was scared is actually what I created within the journey. And it was the first of three successive journeys that I would take. Day one, day two, and day three. For much of that uh, initial taking, you go sit back down. I sat in my part of this round circle, sitting on a mat, feeling not relaxed, very tense, Wondering what was going to happen. After about an hour or so, feeling a little lightheaded or spacey, but not really high or anything. And people around me started to vomit and purge. Interestingly enough, in different ways. There was coughing, there were sighs, there were strange sounds, and there was vomiting. Um, some people even got up to void uh, through, uh, through uh, going to the bathroom or having a bowel movement. 
for me, none of that was going on. I was, I was nauseous. I started getting nauseous, but I didn't, I didn't want to lose control. I was thinking about, like, I don't want to throw up. Like, what's happening? You know, I, I was trying to stay present. And uh, I really, it really hadn't kicked in yet. And now, at this point, about two hours had passed of what would end up being a seven-hour journey. And the shaman asked if anyone wanted more, offered a second dose. Now, not knowing what I was getting into and never having done this before, I was reluctant, but I also really didn't feel much yet and felt like this is what you came for and don't be a coward and you better go up and take a second dose. I came from a very culture level place, actually, because uh, the base level side of me wanted to protect and not do anything. The culture level side said, well, the guy next to me went up there and he's a guy like me. He wasn't afraid, so I need to go up there. So I went up and got the second dose. And this is where things started to take a very bad turn for me, uh, although it ended up being a good turn for me. And so you'll hear this a lot. This journey, this first journey, was uh, it was terrifying. I'll just, I'll just use that term. It was terrifying, and I didn't realize till later, I didn't realize till the third journey, that it was terrifying because... I would not let go of control and that what this medicine was showing me is that my relationship with control was creating a lot of dysfunction in my life, my life and a lot of discomfort in my life and a lot of health issues in my life and helped making me miss a lot of stuff. And that in a sense, I was creating the agony and turmoil and terrifying nature of the experience I was now having. And the experience was I wanted to throw up and I couldn't. I wanted my mind back and I couldn't get it back. I felt like there were spiders crawling under my skin. I felt like a spider was dropping down from the roof and looking at me. I felt like people were laughing at me. I heard cackling. Um, and really, in hindsight now, what I was doing is it was the perceptual aspects of things. There were some people laughing in the room. Some people were purging through vomiting. Some people were purging through coughing. Some people were purging through laughter. It was all different. And some of these things I heard as cackling that were directed at me. And I just wanted this to end. And it kept getting more and more intense. And I kept getting more and more afraid. Now, one thing to know about me and control is... I, to know me, you wouldn't necessarily think that I need control all the time, but I do inside. I like things just the way they are. And I'm not someone who's usually going to ask for help in any way. I, I'm the helper in my mind. I don't ask for help. And in the most perfect of ways, I began to get so scared. I believed I was dying. I would have times where I would literally feel like I was out of my body. I could have no control over my body. Uh, my body was twitching and cramping. I was having feelings of being back in the Grand Canyon and going through that near-death experience and not being able to control the cramping in my muscles and not being able to control my heart rate and not being able to get myself cool again. And one of the helpers who was sitting next to me um, who didn't know because even through all this, I think I was just keeping myself under control, didn't know what kind of agony I was in. I asked him for help. And ironically, 
what happened with me is it I must have in some way kept myself from the experience by trying to arrest so much control over what was going on because most people were finishing when I was just starting. So this also tapped into this idea that now I'm inconveniencing people. That, you know, now I'm the one that everybody's watching. I'm in trouble. I need help. And I asked this guy next to me for help, one of the helpers, who turned out to be exactly what I needed because for me, I am always the man in my circle. At least this is the way I see myself. I am always the helper. I'm always the one that steps up with money, with strength, with courage, with emotional support. And usually... I would step to women to help me or to for an outlet, not necessarily men. And yet I would be distrusting that women could hold it down emotionally for me. And I was forced to ask a man to help me. And he did. And he began to walk me through this as I, at times, wished I was dying and felt literally like I was. And in a sense, now in hindsight, I definitely think part of me did die psychologically. And in the weirdest of things, in my journal, before I entered into this journey, I wrote, I feel like I will die and want to die psychologically. This is what I was doing, except it felt like I was dying physically within this journey. He began to coach me. I was so thirsty. I was, I was shivering. Then I was sweating. It, it felt like uh, I was on the verge of death. And he kept force feeding me water drink more water, drink more water. You're just fine. Try to relax. Let the process be. Stop trying to control it. Stop trying to control it. And finally, I began to purge. And my purge was literally just like clear flowing water that comes out of your tap. Gallons and gallons of water, it felt like I would purge. And when I would purge, I would come out and be in complete clarity and serene bliss and have these amazing insights about the nature of us humans and things like that. And then it would all seize me again and I would freak out and start trying to control it. And then I would purge again and this would go on and on for the next two hours until until I finally came out of it. And I was terrified of this lack of control. And at the end, I had this equally almost beautiful experience of having many insights about my need for control and the the fact of why this went so quote bad for me and um my uh need to look good and my need to not want to ask for help i got all of these insights and i went to bed that night um still kind of in it not really being able to sleep still kind of scared and woke up the next morning very scared very, very afraid, not wanting to do the session again. And so the next night when I went into the circle, if the first night was too much, not knowing, the next night when I went up to get the medicine, I just took a tiny bit, touched it to my lips, and just licked it off my lips. I was too scared to participate. Terrified to participate in the second time. Ironically and predictably, uh, I didn't purge. I didn't get out of control. I did get still a little bit of insights. And I think that second night helped me understand a little bit about the first night, a little bit more. I dipped back into the end of the first night where I was getting insights into the nature 
of me and my need to control and my need to always be the one who's the helper and to be averse to being helped and um, my uh, relationships with my brothers and how that may have made me not want to reach out to men and my relationship with my mom and how that made me perhaps be uh, less uh, trusting of women. Things, Some things that I had already uncovered through my writings and my self-development work previously, but it seemed to be um, centered on this idea of control, which I hadn't really confronted to this degree um, previously. And that brought me to the third one. Something happened in the second one in me not uh, doing it that made me a little less fearful as I came around to the third one. The fear was still there. I did not want to repeat of the first night, which was horrifying to me. And it's still somewhat horrifying uh, to me, as you can imagine, which is why I would never tell anyone to do this, because I would never want someone to expose themselves to what I had to go through that first night. However, in the most perfect of ways, the first night was required for me to get the insights that I had to build up the courage that I needed to do it again the third night. And I'm proud to say I did, despite my fear. I used engagement and resolve, especially resolve, the superpower of resolve. All those times in the gym, all those times exposing myself to airplanes, all those times, you know, um, picking up spiders and and, uh, things like that. Exposing myself to things that I was afraid of allowed me to take the third drink. And this time when I went up, the shaman asked me, how much do you want? Because he must have sensed that I took too much the first time and I took too much or too little the second time. And this time I just looked at him and said, whatever you think. And this was some coaching I got from some very beautiful humans who were more veterans of these ceremonies. And one of them, uh, a beautiful woman by the name of Jax, just a beautiful spirit, um, and her amazing, beautiful partner, James, gave me, who are both um, sort of veterans to this process, gave me the advice that, Jade, trust the process, let it go, and trust um, the shaman. And so reluctantly, I did. And the experience this time was not delayed. It was almost immediate. It seemed like I was within 20 minutes, I was beginning to fade. And the fear started coming back up because when I say fade, I mean like fade. Like I was not in my head. I was beginning to see all kinds of weird circus visions, circus clown faces and things dancing around in my my mind and weird, uh, you know, perceptual things happening even when I'd opened my eyes, which I really couldn't open. And I started to freak out again. Um, And going in, and this will tell you a little bit about control. I was still doing it. Going into the third ceremony, I created this whole thing. I said, look, if this happens and I feel this way, remember to be in gratitude and just be thankful. And if this happens, focus on the love I have for my parents and the gratitude I have for the world. And if that, if that doesn't happen, just focus on my breathing. And all of that fell apart immediately. It was almost as if the medicine said, you cannot control this. This is not something you can do logically. You must experience and feel this. And I started to let go. And I don't know if I let go or the medicine just forced me to let go. But when I did, I had an experience. And the best way to explain it, and of course I can't explain it to all of you because it's something that is, has to be experienced. So me expressing this to you logically is uh, 
doesn't do it justice and you won't quite understand it. But one of the things that then began to happen is, and I'll give you a sense of what this is like. Imagine closing your eyes and going into a dream state, except the dream state is not happening in your head. It feels like it's happening everywhere outside you. It feels like you are outside of yourself and that yourself is not yourself. That's what it felt like. And so I would close my eyes and it would feel like I left my body. Now, it's not leaving the body in the sense of like I saw my body. I just was not aware I even had a body or a brain or a mind. I was just everywhere. And the feeling just took over me. And the feeling started as an insight. And it started as an insight. And it really continued as a story that I was, quote, told the entire night which was perfect for me that we humans and the source from which we derive and this is going to start to sound very new agey and I think part of that is not because I'm trying to sound new agey sometimes one of the insights I got about new age woo woo type language is it sounds new agey and woo woo because we don't have logical ways to discuss these experiences they are experiences and feelings that defy a logical uh, way of explaining. They defy language even. So anything I tell you is not going to be able to convey to you. But I didn't see visions with my eyes open. I saw visions with my eyes closed. And more I would say, I felt visions. So in that sense, it was very much like a dream, but more like a felt state that was not occurring anywhere in a body because I was not aware I had a body. So in that sense, I died again for the second time. Very different death than the first time, the first experience. And the story that I was told was that the source from which we are derived seeks nothing but experiences. That it it seeks nothing but experiences. And that um, in order to have an experience, it must have the software of feeling. Feeling is the thing that our source, whatever that is, call it spirit, soul, source, I don't know. I certainly don't know what it is. Call it our energetics, call it whatever. But this source, which is what I'm going to call it, because it's what I call it in the Next Level Human book, craves experiences. All experiences. And it wants to learn from these experiences. And it learns through feeling deeply how these experiences feel. In fact, we can't have experiences without being able to feel experiences. So experience and feeling are synonymous. And that our need for control and judgment alters these experiences in a good or a bad way. Now that part perhaps can start making sense to some of us, right? We've all heard this idea through the Stoics and philosophies. This part made some sense to me. It was like, oh, if I see myself as injured, then I'm injured. If I don't see myself as injured, I'm not injured. To some degree, the way I judge an experience, the way I judge a thing is actually what that thing becomes. So in a sense, I got this. And in a sense, you could see it's somewhat related to things I have played with in philosophy for a long time. And so maybe, maybe this was not about some, you know, 
you know, benevolent plant medicine speaking to me. Maybe it was just me uncovering connections in my own brain that I had already begun to play with consciously. I don't know. It certainly felt like I was not in a conscious place, a conscious jade. I lost sense of my ego, Jade, and I was somewhere and something else. And so this feeling, though, was really interesting because then I would see myself and ask myself and be shown how far this goes so that my need to control life and death and the idea that death is bad, which is an idea I played with a lot, immediately became apparent to me. I actually experienced through this dream state dying in multiple ways, ways that I have been afraid of. I experienced being eaten by a shark. And as crazy as it sounds, the source from which I am derived found that interesting. It didn't find it terrifying. It found the feelings around it and the way in which and the manner in which I was being killed. Interesting. I saw myself in deep heartbreak, which many of you know my story and know I have experienced that. Not only have I experienced it, but I have perpetuated that deep pain on on others. And I saw very clearly that to the source, the experience of heartbreak is every bit as beautiful, interesting, and useful as the experience of heartful love. And I was shot in the head and uh, felt in slow motion this bullet sort of ripping through my brain. And I'm sorry for the graphics of it, but it was simply just interesting. There was no judgment around it. This is bad. I'm getting shot. This is terrifying. Oh, my God. You know, what's going on? And through this process and this experience that I was being, quote, shown. And by shown, there was no one necessarily holding my hand or a spirit with me or anything like that. It was just I was out I wasn't even me. I was just ex experiencing this, and, and I call it being shown because it's not a thought I had ever had before or a thought I think I could ever have. I was being taken around and showing that all these infinite ways of dying and loving and hurting and learning and being stung by a bee or stepping on a nail or being abused or being insulted or all these experiences are things, in a sense, that Source signs up for, that is useful for Source, that is entertaining for Source, that is educating for Source, and that the Source doesn't distinguish and judge, doesn't judge any of these experiences as, as good or bad. Our human consciousness does that. But to Source, it's all just learning and beautiful and useful. And it seeks to experience itself in myriad, infinite ways. And this blew my mind. And it, be, it was a blissful state to be in, actually. And at times, my eyes would just open for whatever reason, which would bring me back into my physical body. And I did not want to be there. I wanted to be back wherever I was. And as soon as I closed my eyes, I went back into this beautiful state. And at times, I could ask questions, not from Jade's consciousness, but from uh, someplace else, it felt like. I asked questions like, where did this come from? And why are so many people throwing up? And why am I not throwing up? And I thought that I was going to... Uh, 
you know, um, deal with old wounds. And normally these questions would come after I was briefly conscious and then going back into the unconscious or this other state. And I would get answers such as, you've dealt with a lot of your pain through your writing. And I got an answer that, um, and this is perhaps the most interesting thing for me, maybe for you listening to it, maybe not. But one of the most interesting things was when I asked about why so many people are um, purging. And I did purge too on the second night. It was just these long yawns. I would open my eyes and I would yawn or I would give this very loud cough um, or I would shiver all over. Um, And these were the ways I guess I was purging. And what was shown to me or given to me was that we purge during this this medicine because we humans, um, we live experiences and feelings. And we're not meant to live experience experiences and feelings. We're not meant to get stuck in them. We're meant to learn from them and move on to the next feeling and experience. But because of our judgment and because of the way we relate to some of these experiences, we get stuck in them. The way it was shown to me or the way that I uh, want to explain it, it's like watching a movie. And so imagine we're watching a movie, and this is an analogy I've used before, and it's really interesting that even analogies that I've used that I did not know that I could apply to this new insight were useful. And so it's like almost like everything had a meaning and a place. All my experiences beforehand got me ready to experience this and explain this. And so the way I will explain this is that when we're watching a movie, the best movies bring us through the full range of human emotions. The best movies make us cry, make us uh, angry, make us proud, give us a sense of accomplishment, make us happy, make us laugh, make us sad, make us cry. It brings us through this full range. The worst movie ever would just be a movie about someone who starts the movie blissful and content and goes the whole movie blissful and content. We would all go, that's the worst movie ever. And to source, to our source, that's kind of how it looks at it. This at least is the perception that I had, is that it wants the full experience. It wants sadness and anger and happiness and all of these things because that is what educates it and that is what entertains it and that is what is useful for it to help it evolve, whatever it, quote, is. And we purge because we get stuck in these experiential feeling loops. And this is, in a sense, the victim idea. We get stuck in these loops. It's like watching a movie and being stuck in a three-minute loop of that movie. You just watch three minutes, and then you have to watch the same three minutes again, and the same three minutes again, and the same three minutes again, and the same three minutes again. Imagine how agonizing that is. And imagine now that perhaps this is why we sometimes repeat the same emotions and the same obstacles and the same patterns again and again. We know people like this. We've experienced this ourselves as humans, right? We've seen ourselves get in the same kind of relationships, allow ourselves to be abused the same way, to end up getting into the same issue with finances, end up getting into the same health care issues and being in these perpetual loops. What I was shown, what I understood, what I think I now understand about what this, this medicine or this experience was doing and why we purge is to free ourselves from these three-minute loops, to stop living the emotions and start living our lives, to stop living repeated patterns and start living our lives. And this has everything to do with being able to change, which now makes so much sense to me 
when so many people experience these plant medicines and are able to heal from illnesses, are able to be different in relationships, are able to change their relationships to finances, are able to actually change in ways they never could otherwise because they were not able to get out of these experiential loops. And this is the way I spent my entire third night in bliss, being taken around, showing this major insight that we are here to feel, which actually gave me new insight into cliche new age sayings that I have hated up until this experience, one of them being stay in the present moment. What I realized is that this mantra of stay in the present moment is not necessarily about staying in the present moment. And I'm going to change that mantra now because what I got is the mantra I'll use is feel in the present moment. In other words, feel the feels. This is what I have been telling myself after this experience. Rather than saying stay in the present moment, which I never got because I never had this experience, I'm telling myself, feel the feels, Jade. Stay here and feel the feels. Have this experience. Don't think about the next experience or the past experience. Feel this one. Feel the feels. And so feel the feels now is my way that I've incorporated this idea of stay in the present to coincide with this experience that I had with ayahuasca. Now I want to wrap up and just say a couple things. The first night was every bit as terrifying as the third night was blissful. And I also want to say that a lot of the themes that I have worked on in my life came up, although I was not aware of them into in, in hindsight. Think about even the way I approached the medicine. The first night was too little. <laughs> the second night, or the first night was too much. The second night was too little. And the third night was just right. I talk about the Goldilocks effect all the time in health and metabolism. And it, it does not get lost on me that that's exactly the experience that I had. Another experience uh, was, you know, trust. Trust and control. Trust the process. I say that a lot. But I was forced to actually live it. It's one thing to say a thing. It's another thing to live a thing. And I'm grateful that I did. Now, the final thing I'll say here is I don't think anybody should do this. I don't think you have to do this. I think this is something that you have to be called for. I don't even know that I will do it again. I do know that it is perhaps, actually I know for sure, I can tell you all for sure, it is the most consequential thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. The most beautiful experience I have ever had in my entire life. I feel like I learned to die. I feel like I learned to release control. I feel like I learned to trust. And I feel like I got an insight that if true, and because I felt it and you didn't, to me it deeply is true, that suffering in all its forms, is simply a self-made construct. I do want to leave you with just one more thing because it's kind of going to be the theme of the podcast in, uh, coming up because there's been a lot of controversy around racism lately and truth, and especially around the Joe Rogan thing that's going on this week. One of the things that bothered me about this whole experience is that if I take this experience as capital T truth, what this means is that a couple things came out of it for me. What it means is have the experience, feel the feels, the good and the bad, and don't make them good or bad in your head. Just feel them. That's number one. Number two, never, ever deny someone the experiences and feels 
that they're here to have. And those are two major insights that came out of my experience. But then, and this part, this next part is the logical me kicking in. It's not something that was shown to me or that I felt in this experience. But immediately comes out of that a logical difficulty for me. And that is, what happens with someone suffering? Right? What happens if, if you know, there's someone being beat up by someone else? Or abused by someone else? Or, uh, you know, racism and disinformation that can hurt people and these kinds of things. Aren't we, shouldn't we intervene in those experiences and those feels? And if I just take what I felt, the answer is, seems to be no, because uh, we all have to have our experiences and, and, and the, the source doesn't distinguish. But the human side of me can't, can't just let that sit. And so I'm adding one more rule in that I guess is a little T truth. It's not something I know, but the little T truth for me is not only do I need to not allow myself to interfere with my own feels and experiences through uh, control, and not only do I not ever interfere with someone else's life experiences, trying to protect them from uh, you know, these things and intervening in that way, I also will not allow people to intervene with other people's experiences. And to me, this logically squares the problem. It logically says, well, if we're all having our experiences and they happen to be self-generated, then I'm not going to interfere with that other than to be a model, an influence, a positive inspirational force that helps you see what's possible. But I certainly will intervene if someone else is trying to intervene or influence your experiences. In other words, I will not let someone else abuse you. I will certainly, if, you, if the abuse is coming from yourself, I will let you have that experience while modeling something that you could do differently. But I will not allow anyone else, just as I will not allow myself, to interfere with your experience, especially if that experience happens to be abusive in any way. So that's my experience with ayahuasca and the plant medicines. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast and I will be back with you next week.